0: Let's turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Let me say, uh, for the sake of our visitors, we are delighted to have you here. We are thankful that God has brought you this way. And we pray that the Lord Jesus will meet with you today. It is the heart's desire of every regenerate soul here to meet with the living God. So I do pray that you will have just exactly what your heart desires. May Christ fill your soul with a feast of fat things today. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. If you'll stand with me one more time. Let's now give our attention. God speaks by his word and spirit. Let's Hear him. Acts chapter 6. Verse 1. The living word of God. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, and to the ministry of the Word. Amen. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of these wonderful words. Let us remain standing in the presence of our precious Savior and let us lift our hearts as one to the throne of grace. O oh, blessed God of heaven our brother just read a few moments ago that beautiful chapter in the revelation of John and lord what did we see not an infatuation with the antichrist but the holy wholehearted worship of God and of Christ, the Son of God. Lord, such a glorious gathering we would be a part of and by thy spirit and by union with Christ we are we're just a little band here this morning father there are gatherings of thy people of only two or three or of hundreds oh god thy son has promised to be with us lord when we open that blessed book of revelation where do we find our savior but in the midst of his candlesticks his churches dressed in his glorious robes of the great high priest and of the king. Lord Jesus, thou art with us today. I welcome thee and I praise thee and I thank thee that for those here that have repented of their sins and believed on thee, that their crimes and rebellions against heaven have been washed away in thy precious blood. How we thank thee that thou dost love thy people on earth, that thou, as the good shepherd, did lay down thy life that we might have life. O oh, blessed Christ, how we thank thee for the gracious. The gentle love thou dost show us. How we thank thee. For thy chastening love. That thou dost show us. Father whatever thy dear children. Need to be. May it all come through thy holy son today. Father some. May need. Thunder and lightning. Father produce it in their souls. Some. May need peace. And calm and need the storms to be peaceful. Lord, do that. Comfort the weary, rebuke the worldly, do thy work here, O Christ. Blessed Spirit, if we have grieved thee, lay it upon the hearts of each one that has grieved thee to repent, that we might be fit vessels to know thy wonderful love and grace and mercy in Christ. O blessed Savior, what a bridegroom thou art. What great love thou dost show thy bride. Wash us today. Sanctify us today with the washing of water by the word. Come and wash thy bride. Lord, we've been wrestling with our flesh and wrestling in the world this week cleanse us let us stand before thee in the beautiful and perfect robes of thy righteousness may we look to thee in faith father there are some in our midst that are still in Adam set them free today father those who have not clothed with thee help them to see what an insult what a rebellion it is for the gracious God of heaven to say, here is my son, hear him, believe him, and yet to turn the back in a deaf ear. Oh, Father, save the lost here this morning. Draw them out of darkness. Break the bands of Satan that holds them. <clears throat> Thou hast bound the strong man, plunder his house. Right here today, Lord. Delight all of heaven. And bring sinners to Thee. And Father, for Thy dear children. They are hungry for Thee. Feed them with the manna of Thy Word. And the beauty of Christ. Feed them. Satisfy their longing souls for Thee. Father, make them more. In the image of thy Son. Father, help the preaching of thy word today. This vessel is incapable of saving or sanctifying a soul, but help me by thy power to point to the one that does both. O oh, Jesus, reign. In our presence here. May we know the reign of grace. As was so beautifully preached to us on Wednesday. Father may the reign of grace. Fill our hearts with glory. Praise. Honor. Thanksgiving. And may we know our oneness with thee. Come Lord. Build thy church. Advance thy kingdom and get all the glory to thy holy name. And I ask it in the name of our risen Savior. Amen. Please be seated. The preaching of Jesus, his apostles, and the elders of the churches fulfills God's promise to give his people pastors according to his own heart. Timothy Laniac writes, Through Jeremiah, God promises, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. This short promise also speaks of a capacity to care, listen carefully, speaks of a capacity to care for God's flock with self-sacrificing diligence and compassion. It is not just heart, however, but after my own heart that matters. Not just a man with heart for what he's doing. It is a man whose heart, whose pulse beats with God and his word. That's what matters. Laniac goes on to say a good shepherd is one who sees what the owner sees. And does what the owner does. He is a follower before he is a leader. He is a leader because he is a follower. The shepherds whom God judges in the Bible are those who forget that the people in their care are not their own. Close quote. No congregation belongs to a pastor or a group of pastors. It belongs to Jesus Christ who shed his blood to give them everlasting life. And every person that thinks, every man that thinks God has called him to the pastorate to be an elder, to be a bishop, to be a shepherd needs to know before he even begins that work that these are God's people. Period. Now and always. So, having given an exposition of the text that we've just read, we are now applying the text and searching scripture to explain the meaning of it. We see the promised shepherding care in the congregation at Jerusalem. Filled with the Holy Ghost, Christ's apostles preached in Jerusalem with a mighty converting power. With power from on high, they preached the gospel of the crucified and resurrected God-man, Jesus Christ. And they preached their new covenant gospel from their spirit-illuminated understanding of the old covenant scripture. There was no New Covenant scriptures yet. Their spirit-empowered preaching in Jerusalem formed the first New Covenant church in history. Right in Jerusalem where Jesus told them to begin. And that preaching... Rapidly increased the number of disciples in the church. A problem arose when the Hebrew brethren overlooked the Greek widows in the daily distribution of food. Problem in the church. First church. There's a problem. And one they could have split over. Hebrews and Greeks. So the apostles wisely resolved the problem by charging the congregation to appoint seven spirit-filled men to handle it. Then these Christ-commissioned shepherds announced what they would do and how they would do it. The sacred text says we, the apostles, have <coughs> will give ourselves Continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now we've learned that the words give continually can be translated remain constant or steadfastly continue or be devoted to. It's not a hobby. It's not something that you make a little time for. It is your life if you are called to this work. So, shepherds after God's heart are continuously devoted to prayer and God's Word. And as I mentioned last week, I am convinced, and I'm very thankful that others are as well, the order is correct. Prayer, then the Word. So our sermon is entitled, Devoted to Prayer and the Word. This is part four. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give us... May he give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We need that gift this morning. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Is that not what is promised in the shepherds that God would give? Knowledge and understanding the eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. I want to know that I want to listen carefully. I want to experience that I want my life transformed by his power Toward me and all of his children. I don't want to hear about it. I want to know it. I want to experience. His transforming power. You should want the same. It's the mighty working of his power. Which he wrought in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. May God's resurrection power. Fall upon us today. If you don't want that, why did you come? We want to know God. We don't want any games. We don't want just a Calvinistic religious game. So, in our previous messages under this head, our first thought was that Christ's apostles as indicated by the text, clearly understood the heart of their ministry. They knew what Christ had called them to do, and they were given to it. Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior, had commissioned the apostles to preach the gospel, the power of God, and the salvation. There's nothing higher than that, and there is nothing higher than that, as far as the work of men goes. Therefore, they understood their primary work, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. With that in mind, we considered this first. Shepherds after God's heart are devoted to prayer. Not should be, not ought to be, They must be. And very often they truly have to grow into that. The pastor in prayer is essential for his holy work. He must pray for the salvation of lost souls. He must must wrestle before God to get him his bride. May God grant. In addition to his bride this morning here. He must pray for the sanctification of saved souls. If you don't hear the word of God and obey it. I will tell you what you are obeying. Your flesh. Which wars against God. You don't have any other option. You either hear God. Believe God. And obey God. Or you don't. And if you don't, even as a true regenerate, your life is off the rails and will only increase. Therefore, a pastor after God's own heart must pray against Satan's distractions. The backwardsness of their own sinful flesh. And spiritual and physical drowsiness. We then learned that, thirdly, shepherds after God's heart are devoted to preaching God's word. Now we started by considering that God speaks to men. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says God who at sundry times and in diverse manners listen spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son in the old covenant and the new covenant God in his love for his people spoke to them and speaks to them God spoke all creation into existence he then spoke to adam he spoke to the patriarchs and he spoke through he spoke to israel through moses and the prophets until john the baptist god committed that holy history to the 39 books of the spirit-breathed old testament scriptures god then spoke through christ and his apostles that revelation is committed to the 27 books of the New Testament scriptures. Then in astounding grace, mercy, and love, God gave the entire canon of 66 books to Christ's churches. What love. I mean, if somebody said to you, God's going to speak to you today. Is there anything in you that would say. Wonderful. When. Where. How. Is he going to split the heavens. No you open up his book. And you pray. To meet with him. And he does. He's speaking. Are we listening. Every day. God's. Voice is available. In other words. God's living. Creating word became. The inscripturated word. The elders of Christ's congregation. Must preach. God's words. To God's people. In the power of God's spirit. In that way, Jesus builds his church. That's how he does it. In that way, Jesus sanctifies his church. In that way, Jesus advances his kingdom. And in that way, every member of a congregation... Has a ministry of the word. Studying. Not just reading. Studying. Memorizing. Meditating on the word. And sharing it. Then. They grow in it. Then. They share it. You can't encourage your brother or sister more than encouraging them with the word of God. So, by hearing, believing, and obeying the infallible word preached, Christ's people are set apart from the world. Do you understand? We're not here to grade a sermon We are here to hear our God and say, thank you. Help me to walk in what I heard today. You spoke to me. I'm going to say something that I know is not very popular, and I'm not saying it for controversy's sake. I'm saying it for your soul's sake. Most important counseling you will get will come from the pulpit. That doesn't mean there aren't times to sit down and have a pastor, an elder, a friend to open up the scriptures and say, Here, I would encourage you to think about this while you're struggling through that. All right? But God is counseling his people every time we meet, no matter how weak the vessel is. So are you listening? Am I listening? Are you hearing God's counsel and making it fruitful in your life? If you come away with a sermon, from a sermon, with just one thing, just one thing, God said this, I'm going to make sure this is happening in my house, I guarantee your life would change. I guarantee it because it's God's truth. If you hear it and go, that's nice, it's a little longer than last week, um, you will get nothing. God is the great counselor. Isn't that Jesus, one of Jesus' names? The wonderful counselor. He's the best counselor. Are you listening to him? Are you applying? It's, it's, it's three easy things to remember. Hear the word of God. Hear the word of God. Everybody here is going to hear it today. Next is believe the word of God. And then live the word of God. If you're not doing that, you are missing the point of our gathering. You are missing the point of every congregation gathering on the the face of the earth. We are worshiping our God. We're coming into his presence in his glory, in his beauty, in his power, and in his love for us. He speaks, and he's still speaking. And he's saying the same thing today that he said yesterday. And he's saying the same thing that he said 1,500 years ago. And he will be saying the same thing if we were all to live for another 1,500 years. What he's saying is true, and it will still be being preached And heard by regenerate souls. The purpose of our gathering. Is not to tickle. Our religious itch. It is to come. And worship our God. And then hear him and obey him. Three things. Simple. Hear the word of God. Believe it. And live it. That's a very simple measuring device, but it's a very potent one. I know in my own life how many sermons I've heard and couldn't tell you one syllable of what I heard because I didn't go and think about it and live it. It doesn't matter how wonderful, how exciting, how thrilling, how electrifying it is. If your life doesn't change, what were you here for? This is really very simple, isn't it? God speaks. We listen. And we say, okay, I'm going to lay hold of that. Let's walk in it. Amen. So, by hearing, believing, and obeying the infallible word preached, Christ's people are set apart from the world. They mature In Christ, they grow up and they are preparing for eternity. Now, that raises a question. What is preaching? What is that? (laughs) How many times have you heard people, someone starts telling you something and you don't really like the way it's going, you say, okay, okay, stop preaching to me. You've heard that. You have to have heard that at least once in your life unless you've only been on the planet a few early years. Don't preach to me. Stop preaching to me. Hmm? (laughs) Sounds like a pretty low view of preaching, isn't it? I mean, you can look at it like a foul and wicked thing that somebody's doing to you. There's something wrong with your view of preaching. Like prayer, biblical preaching is a supernatural act empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, no matter how weak the pastor is and their weak vessels. And like prayer, attempting to define preaching is challenging and complex, yet, It is a delightful and heavenly subject at the same time. Is preaching a good thing? From the world's point of view, not so much. Listen to what John Calvin said of the preaching ministry. Quote, I have accordingly pointed out above that God often commended the dignity of the ministry by all possible marks of approval in order that it might be held among us in the highest honor and esteem. You hear that? I'm going to repeat that. God often commended the dignity of the ministry By all possible works of approval. That's his approval. In order that it might be held amongst us. In highest honor and esteem. Even as the most excellent of all things. Now ask yourself. Do you believe that the preaching of God's infallible word. Is the most excellent of all things. If you don't wrestle with that. And come up with what's better. What's better than to hear from God? What will change your life? Hearing from God. But I'm so busy, I can't read it. Self robbery. Look at the table of your life and knock off everything that keeps you from prayer. Everything that keeps you from the word. Because I tell you, all the stuff that does that is going to burn in the day of judgment. Along with your excuses. You can carve the time out. Now there are rare, rare, rare exceptions I know right now of a man in a foreign country who's got bombs going off around him every day. He's got gunfire in the background of everything that's happening. He's got a handful, more than a handful. He's got a huge number of children to take care for. Their parents have been killed, raped, burned. And he's going 24 hours a day to protect those children. He can say, I haven't had time to sit down and study the Word this morning. That's... that. I won't have any problem with that. But that's not where most of us are. Calvin goes on to say, not only is it the most excellent of all things, Calvin was remarkable. He preached about five times a week. Depending on who you read, it it can go up to six or seven, but it's a little hard to know. But he preached that much And when he was preaching from the Old Testament, he would be reading literally from the Hebrew text and translating it in his mind as he preached it. And then he would take the Greek text and do exactly the same thing. Why did he do that? Because it was the most excellent thing in the world and God had given it to him, given it to him to do. To feed God's people and to give God the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is better? Please tell me what's better. So he says, God testifies that in raising up teachers for them, he bestows a singular benefit. That means unique. There's nothing else like it a singular benefit upon men when he bids the prophet exclaim how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. To a certain extent, he's saying, listen to Isaiah and then See if you can throw your gauntlet down and top that. Now, preachers are generally, in in many places, are just simply the targets of Satan and the ones chewed up at lunchtime or in private. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. Good tidings that publisheth peace. We all need peace, don't we? When you're having a difficult week, isn't good news good? That saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. I mean, when that thing that happens where you go, not now. We need to hear, God reigns. Is that not so? He's always reigning. He doesn't take a vacation. Doesn't take a break. Sorry, uh, pray. Give me about three weeks on that, okay? That doesn't happen. I have to do that with my calendar. He never does. So... <clears throat> Calvin went on to say and this is really remarkable when he that's God calls the apostles Christ the Son when he calls the apostles the light of the world that's his title are we listening? why are those people that are going to run away from him Why are they the light of the world? Why is Peter going to swear and curse that he doesn't know him? And yet, how could he be the light of the world? Because Jesus fills him with his spirit and he tells people about Jesus. That's the light of the world. And that's what ministers are supposed to do. They are to be devoted to the preaching of Christ. And that makes Weak and feeble vessels of death, dust that are hardly worth any time evaluating. Very important people. Not because they're important, but because God has chosen them to bring his word. He does not do that with everybody. If democracy has poisoned your mind, you were probably offended by that statement. But if you understand the scriptures, God uses men. He says to I, I was telling some of the men this week. That when I had come to understand something <laughs> very little about the sovereignty of God and how he works and how men's wills are bound and all of those important doc, uh, uh, doctrines then I read Acts where Paul tells the king and Jesus said to me, you, Paul, will turn men from darkness and the power of Satan. He didn't say, I'm going to do it. He said, you're going to do it. This was a guy that had put Jesus' people to death. Is he worthy to speak of Christ? No. Is that the vessel that he told, you're going to turn others from the power of darkness? Most of us don't even think about the power of what it means when, when he said the power of darkness. Every person, man, woman, child outside of Christ is a slave of Satan and the dark kingdom. Your grandmother, your uncle, your wife, your husband, your children that do not believe are slaves of their lust, their own desires. And lust there means strong desire, not necessarily sexual. And they won't come to Christ. Yet the Lord Jesus tells Paul, you're going to do it. You're going to set them free from that power. How will he do that? By being filled with the Holy Spirit and bringing the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what sets people free. I heard a story a long time ago, and I hope I'm recounting it uh, accurately. But a man who'd become a preacher, he was hoping with all of his heart, to preach and teach and to be the next Spurgeon and all that kind of stuff. That's not a bad desire in and of itself. But the fact is, that's what lots of preacher boys think they're going to do. <clears throat> and after years of being in the ministry, he said, you know what? I've come to understand it. He said. Preachers, Pastors. Are just like paper cups they bring the water of life but they're disposable that's exactly right I'm going to be gone sooner or later whoever comes in here he'll be gone sooner or later every man that's ever been a pastor ever been an elder you're going to be gone but the word of God will still be here Amen. and so he raises up more paper cups To bring the wonderful water of life. Well. Once more Calvin says. This office of preaching the word of God. This office could not be more splendidly adorned. Than when he Jesus said. He that heareth you. Heareth me. He that heareth you heareth me. And he that despiseth you despiseth me. And he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. That's a sober statement. So then. I want to remind you. We said last week. John R. DeWitt defined preaching this way. Very simply. Preaching is the exposition and application of the word of God. It is the exposition and application of the word of God. Now. Let's let's get a few definitions here. So we can get what we're hearing. Exposition is the systematic explanation of a specific subject. The systematic explanation of something. In this case, the specific subject is the text of the Spirit-breathed Scripture. Richard Mayhew summarizes the elements of expositional or expository preaching this way he says number one the message finds its sole source here in scripture that's where any sermon that's a sermon that God intends that's where it starts because it's God that is spoken Number two, it is extracted from Scripture through careful exegesis. Now, that, again, may be a word that some of us are not too familiar with. But notice that word extracted. That's what gives it away. It is extracted from Scripture through careful exegesis. It begins with the Bible. Then we've got to come to that Bible carefully. And then we want to exegete. Exegesis is the grammatical and historical interpretation of a text. All right, grammar. Grammar matters. Homeschoolers ought to be the the best teachers of English grammar on the planet so that their children can read the Bible with greater understanding. Now, it's true, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us an understanding, but when you don't know what those letters mean... If you don't understand what the subject of the sentence is, what the action of the sentence is, or what the state of being of the sentence is, if you don't understand what the direct object uh, receiving the power of the verb, if you don't understand the difference between a direct object and a predicate nominative, it's quite likely that you're going to read certain things in the Scripture and not get what's saying. God gave us words, and He gave us words in a grammatical sense. I mean, He didn't. You'll never find anything in the Scripture that's like pink, yellow, marshmallow, training wheels. What? Okay, now everybody in here knows what each one of those words means. But that's that's not even a sentence. That's nonsense. But God didn't give us that. He gave us verbs and subjects, nouns, all of that. You don't have to be the greatest student in the world of every single aspect of grammar. But I'll tell you what, the better you get at it, the better you will read the Bible. That's how God gave it. He gave words. It all begins, we all have thoughts. All of us Well, that might be argued in some cases, but most of us have thoughts, identifiable thoughts, at least to us. Those thoughts are often expressed, comes out through our mouth. You know, if we were just going all the time, we would say, mm, don't get a lot out of that conversation. Because I need somebody to speak in a language that I understand. So how do we overcome that problem? It's very simple. Words are symbols of our thoughts. So we have symbols called letters. We put those letters together into words. Those words are part of sentences. That's where thoughts really begin to shine in sentences. The sentences can go into paragraphs. Paragraphs go into chapters. And chapters can be made into a book. It's all grammar. You need to know grammar. You need to understand what you're reading. We need the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do. But I know people who've never read a word in their lives and they picked up a Bible and they couldn't read a word out of the Bible. Even though God had dealt with them. Homeschoolers ought to double down the most. In my opinion. On grammar. Because God gave you. Grammar. He gave you a book. It's full of words. You want to understand those words. I know. There are math fans out there. But you know. Biblical math. Sometimes is pretty strange. One plus one equals one husband and wife come together and all of a sudden one plus one equals one according to biblical grammar how about be fruitful and multiply you have one plus one and then you have three multiplication Hmm. then you have one plus one and it can become four got to watch biblical math. It's correct, by the way. But it doesn't always fit into our mathematical schemes. What am I telling you? This is God's book. He is speaking. And you need certain tools to understand it. Yes, you need the Holy Spirit. There's no question. You will never understand it as you should. But if you can't tell what context means, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. I will give you one further illustration then I will move on a little more quickly. Now, there are those, especially at Q&A, who've heard this probably two or three times. And uh, others on the uh, staff at chapel have probably heard this <laughs> more times than they've uh, really appreciated. But the fact is, it is context that gives words meaning. It is context that gives words meaning. We're not chasing a rabbit here. You've got to understand what the words are saying. And then you've got to understand what the words, once you're sure of what it's saying, what it means. Because meaning and what it's saying isn't always the same thing. And then you've got to apply it. If you don't have one and two down, number three is not likely to be in harmony with God's will. So, take the simple words, put it in the trunk. Right? Now, I want everybody, those of you that have heard it already know where this is going. But those of you that haven't, just when I say the words, what comes to your mind? Put it in the trunk. Well, it could be, it could be a, a, a son asking a father, we're packing up for a trip. Where do you want me to put this bag? put it in the trunk well we know from that that he's talking about the car right now um, a, a daughter may be saying to a mother i really want to put my graduation gown aside and i want to keep it forever and ever and ever what should i do with it she might say go up into the attic and put it in the trunk Was well, not talking about a car the attics don't usually have cars in them right there's something about the context that helps you to understand that we've got a young vet working with an older vet they're working on an elephant who's very very sick and and the starter veterinarian says well he's very sick where do i put this medication and the older one says put it in the trunk well it's not talking about a car and it's certainly not talking about a box in the attic The context tells you what those words mean. In fact, you might even have a horticulturist, someone who's learning all kinds of things about plants and trees and all of that and saying to the teacher, well, okay, where do I graft this in? And he says, put it in the trunk. Well, then what's he talking about? He's talking about grafting it into the trunk of the tree. All right. now four times it's exactly the same words exactly the same words put it in the trunk but it means something different each time what makes the difference context there are people that take their concordance and they look for a word and they look for every place that it's in the bible and they give it one definition that's completely wrong Because it's the context that tells you how that word's being used. The word world is a good example. So what am I telling you? God speaks. God speaks in his word. We need to hear his word. And for those of us who have the privilege of having the Bible, we need to know something about grammar. Exegesis is drawing out of the text what the text means with me they can he could take four different books it's got put it in the trunk and he's got four different contexts he's got to look at the context in order to get what's being meant not just what's being said you have to start with what does it say those of you that have been married for any amount of time know that you have said i i I know I said that, but you're drawing the wrong conclusion from what I'm saying. You're not getting what I'm saying. Well, what did you mean by that? Ah, there it is. You've just proved the whole issue. What was said, you got to get that right. Then what do you mean? You got to get that right. And then you can take action on it. Just because you know 10 verses more than somebody else doesn't mean that you understand the Bible more than someone else. And that's one of the reasons God makes preachers. They are to preach the word of God, having spent time with the grammar and with the history and then delivering it, hopefully, in the power of the Spirit so that we can hear, believe, and live it. Well, so. <clears throat> expository preaching. It's preparation. Must be exegesis. There's another word that we don't usually use. But I want you to be familiar with it. It's called eisegesis. Sounds a little bit like the first one. There's exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is drawing out of the text, what it means, which takes study for its context, for its history, for its words. Who said it? Why did they say it? Who was being spoken to? Why were they being spoken to that way? They're not thinking in those terms. It's very easy to plug in your ideas into that text. That's called eisegesis. That's When you take the word of God and you interpret it by your own ideas. Could any of us do that? (laughs) Are you living and breathing? Of course you do that. And that's why we have to learn how to read the scriptures better. But that is one of the reasons God gives us preachers. They read the word of God. They study the word of God. They look at it in Genesis. They look at it in Revelation. They look at the things in between. They look at the way the words are being used. They're asking, Lord, teach us so that I might speak to your people. I'm going to give account to you in the day of judgment. I can't preach my conscience to you. I can tell you this congregation would look different if I did. But my conscience is not the ruler here. Ever. It must be God's word, or at least the way we understand it. Well, that's what God promised, to give us knowledge and understanding. Number three, its preparations correctly interprets Scripture in its normal sense and its context. That's what good expository preaching does. Number four... It clearly explains the original God-intended meaning of Scripture, and it applies the scriptural meaning for today, number five. Now, there are things that we could add. There are some things we could argue about. Is there more than one meaning in the text? And we can certainly say under some circumstances, yes. But that's not here for the argument. What I'm saying is... This is what someone needs to do to preach to God's people. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, there were people called Arians that said, "Well, as we look at this book, Jesus is the first and greatest creation of Almighty God. He's not God." He said, well, "What kind of people would think like that?" Jehovah's Witnesses that come to your door. The Mormons—they believe one God. You know, you can be, there's uh, many gods, we just worship one of them, but there are many gods, and if you're faithful to their priesthood, you can become God, have your own eternal harem. Lots of wives. They will take and show you the King James Bible and say, we believe this. Are we getting this? One of the greatest threats to God's people is being sucked into bad doctrine. And we need to be very careful. This is one of the reasons the Lord gives pastors, elders. So, another man says that preaching is the verbal proclamation by the church of the whole message of the Bible. The whole counsel of God. That's a good definition. I hope you're seeing the similarity with what we had to do with prayer Men look at at prayer and they put things together in the scripture and they come to differing, but in this case, not contradictory ways of defining it. Same thing with preaching. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, in my opinion, I'm not alone in this opinion, perhaps the greatest preacher of our lifetimes. David Martin Lloyd-Jones defined preaching as, quote, logic on fire. Eloquent reason. Now eloquence is the powerful use of language to its best effect. In other words, you know how to use words and to persuade. It often has the idea of persuading and moving. You say, oh, that sounds like man-made stuff. Paul over and over again has been attributed in the words of Scripture of persuading those who heard him. And we go through a list. Yes, we're, to, you know, we're just going to say, well, there's a fellow named Jesus. He lived for a while. He died. He rose again. That's it. Now, if you can just kind of nod your head to that, you're going to be saved. Tell you what, stuff like that goes on. No, it's got to be explained and then applied to the heart. Here's why you need Jesus. Reason, he says. Reason. In other words, we have to think. Reason concerning this truth ought to be mightily eloquent. Use that language in a way that speaks to men and women and children. Tell them why God sent his son into the world. Tell them why they need a savior. And tell them in a clear And a persuasive way. Do you not understand, sir? Do you you not understand, ma'am? That without Christ, you will never be forgiven of your sins. What are you trying to do there? You're not trying to sell a car. You're trying to persuade someone come to my Savior, come to Christ. Don't live in your darkness. Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, it is theology on fire. He understood the Bible teaches things. It teaches doctrines. And therefore, those doctrines that are a part of our theology have to be in the message. Jesus is or is not truly God, truly man in one person. He is or he isn't. We believe that's the only Christ that saves. Does theology matter? Your life depends on it. Your eternal life. You've got to have the right Jesus. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, I fear lest anyone come and preach another Jesus to you or gives you another spirit or brings another gospel. You might believe it. Who's he talking to people that he taught the gospel brethren are you hearing me are you hearing the Lord need to ask that is that what his word means could Paul the apostle of grace be concerned about people he's preached to that they might be brought off the path yes. Lloyd-Jones, theology on fire. And he says, in a theology which does not take fire, I maintain is a defective theology. Or at least the man's understanding of it is defective. You can be a broken vessel. There's no question about it. You can, and the Lord can still use you. As the old saying goes, the Lord can use, he can strike a blow with with a crooked stick. right. But the point is that elders are going to give a greater account than anybody. Lloyd-Jones said in another place. What is preaching? Quote. It is proclaiming these facts about Christ. Not only that. It is an explanation of the facts. Now, you see, that's exposition right there. You lay the fact before them, and then you begin to explain the facts. That's one of the problems with some of the hit-and-run street preachers out there. You need Jesus. You're going to hell. Believe on Jesus. You'll be okay. That's like, for a lot of people today, that's gibberish. They have no idea why you're even telling them that. They've got to know what they are and why they need that Jesus who died and rose again. Amen. So Lloyd Jones says it's explaining, it's the, uh, the meaning of the facts. Hear that? The meaning of the facts, how these facts constitute salvation. Facts that constitute my salvation? Yes. That's why, that's why the gospel as set down in 1 Corinthians 15, brother. Victor did a wonderful sermon on this uh, just uh, several weeks back. That simple gospel is built on the scriptures and that it is affirmed by the testimony of witnesses. There are historical witnesses to that. That's part of preaching the gospel. There are people that saw Jesus. They talked to him after he rose again. This isn't a fantasy. Real people talk to him. He even said, look, come put your hand right here on my side. That's right. The meaning of the facts. How these facts constitute salvation. People don't understand the notion of substitution. You must tell them clearly. I've had people say to me, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why didn't God just forgive us? You've got to explain that to them. Listen. We've got an increasingly growing heathen culture. And I mean pagan. And many of them have never heard anything about Christ. It is amazing how many men I've talked to that are up there at the Blue House over the years that this thing has been going. And almost all of them are Christians, right? Why are you in jail? They all believe in the Lord, really? And you talk to them and they know nothing of Christ. Oh, we're not theologians. We're not pastors. No, but your salvation rests on some facts. That's right. Do you understand why Jesus died? That he died as the sin-bearing substitute of his people. That God poured out all his wrath upon the Lord Jesus. So that by faith in Jesus, your sins are washed away and you are Attributed, you are attributed his righteousness. God says, You're righteous. You know what? You're as righteous as my son by believing on him. That's it. Do we get that? That fact is important. It needs to be explained. Well, how could he do that? I've had people say that. Oh, well, well how does that work? Because Jesus had no sin. And you tell them how he came into the world. Born of a virgin. And you tell them how he kept the laws that we've broken. And then you tell them how he bore the penalty. Of the sins of the laws we've broken. And then you tell them how he rose again. Conquering death. And that God accepted his sacrifice on, on behalf of all those who believed. Amen. Facts matter. It's not just this fuzzy thing around the edges. Jesus came into this world or he did not. He is the God man or he is not. He died in the place of his people or he did not. He rose again the third day or he did not. He ascended up into glory or he did not. And if he did that, as God said, he's the only hope for everlasting life. Amen. People are not saved by lies. They're saved only by the truth. Oh, well, God willing, I thought there would be four parts here. There's going to be five. We're going to pick back up next time in the four words that the, the New Testament gives us about the act of preaching so that we can get this idea more clearly. But do you have some idea now? Here is once again a vital thing. I'm going to repeat what I said last week. After those looking at those four words and several others, by the way, but I'm not going to work with these several others. Jonathan Griffiths says in his helpful book, Preaching in the New Testament. It's a a wonderful study, very provocative of good of good thoughts. He says that when we consider the range of the Greek vocabulary that signifies preaching, we may we may define it as this. What does the word preaching mean? It is the public. Authoritative. Declaration of God's word. By a commissioned leader. There are people. That are commissioned by God. To preach. Christ. The prophets did it. Veiled. In the Old Testament. Jesus did it. Plain and simple. The apostles went and filled the world with his truth. And the elders of churches today are to do the same. They don't have experiences of the Lord Jesus Christ risen again. Because that was for the apostles. But we have the apostles doctrine. And that's what we're to preach. Not our own. Oh, Brethren preaching of the word is vital it's vital it is vital so we bring this to a close today let me simply say on the authority of this word Jesus Christ was and is and forever will be the God man truly God truly human in one extraordinary and unique person. He came into this world. Born of a virgin. And he kept the laws. That we haven't kept. That's important. Because that's. It's one thing for God to say. I forgive your sins. But we have to have a positive righteousness. For God to accept us, you must have a perfect righteousness. Not one flaw, not one sin. And you don't have it. And I don't have it. And I can't give it to you. But I can tell you who can. Jesus Christ kept the law in your place. He died upon Calvary's cross, bearing all of God's wrath and fury for our law-breaking. And Jesus said, it is finished. And then he rose again the third day. He's alive. He was seen. People saw him and talked to him and touched him. And God says, if you will believe on my son, your foulness and your sins, Will be washed away forever. And you will stand righteous before me. Not for one single work that you ever done or that you will do. But by believing on Christ. And God will impute his righteousness to you. Every sinner here that has believed on Christ stands before the Lord today. Not because he did a little better this week than he did last week. But because he's clothed in the robe of righteousness, Thank you, Lord. it comes from Jesus Christ. You need a Savior if you're here without him. And there's one way to come to him, and that's all. Repent of your sins and believe on him. Amen. That's what this book teaches. So, my friends, preaching is vital. We'll finish this, God willing, next week. Let's pray. Oh, my God in heaven. Oh, my Savior. Oh, great God of wonders. There are lost people here today. Would you take these things and help them to understand that the Bible actually really means something? It took place in history. It actually can be explained in our language. We can hear what God has done to save sinners. And we may repent And believe and have everlasting life. It is all in the love of God. And in the beauty of his given his son for us. Now Lord. Save the lost. Sanctify the saved. Help us all. To read and handle your book better. And Lord help us. To come daily. To hear. Thy voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me.